everyone, and welcome to the Millennial Mythos Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Gantz, and today is a very special episode because it is the first episode of the podcast. Today we're going to, to discuss the subject line, teach like they don't have to come back tomorrow. So right off the bat, I'm going to let you know that I'm definitely hitting on the, the subject of vulnerability later in this episode, and I think it's incredibly appropriate because I'm going to be a good teacher and model that for you. This is my first podcast, and I'm pretty nervous. I can't even tell you how many times I just restarted the record button. But hopefully, as we go through to today, that doesn't show through too much, and you get some good nuggets of encouragement as we move through some of our topic today. Uh, so uh, let me just tell you, since it's the first episode, a little about myself. I am a choir teacher of 10 years, and uh, I currently reside in Green River, Wyoming, where I teach middle and high school choir. Uh, I've, I've spent a little time in Colorado and, and more time in Wyoming before that. But that's a little bit about me. And um, I guess you could say that this episode or this podcast, the show, has kind of been burning a hole in me for a while. And um, I think I would be the first to tell you that... Um, I don't claim, I don't have any claims to fame, but I, after 10 years in the, in the classroom, I think I've got some things to share, and hopefully you're there with me as we go through. Uh, there's a couple things that I kind of aimed this podcast at, and the first one is uh, something that teachers know really well, and that is that good teachers are leaving the classroom, and one way I believe that we should be working as, as professionals to, to kind of curb that or, or help that situation is, is working with our students to accept the calling of teacher. The second one, which I've found really interesting and I've, I've thought about a lot, is the generational roadblocks between educators. For example, we still have uh, baby boomers in the, in the classroom teaching, um, Gen X, and of course me, the millennial generation, and we're all teaching students in Generation Z. And I think that's an interesting dynamic and one that we should explore. The third thing that I want to look at and, and, and work through in this podcast is reinvigorating and reassessing how teachers of every subject and grade level transform their classroom and those inside it. And the last is, is bridging the divide between average teacher and inspiring mentor. Part of my goal is not to impart inconceivable caches of hitherto unknown knowledge upon you. Uh, what I do hope to do, however, is share with you my story, my experience, and the experiences of other incredible educators. People who are literally changing the world one student or classroom or school or district at a time. Part of how I hope to do this is by providing you with some extra pillars of support and an element of consonance, shared or similar experiences maybe that you can relate to and resonate with, resonate with um, through a large amount of storytelling. Again, I, I go back to this. I won't, I won't claim anything extraordinary, uh, but I think my time in the classroom in several different institutions has certainly revealed what really works and since I'm an electives teacher, I watch it bring students back to my classroom over and over, even when they don't have to. 
which brings us what, to what we're talking to about today. Teach like they don't have to come back tomorrow. Um, if let's 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 dive in here and look back. Uh, for me, fifteen years, maybe for some of you more. That's just fine. Um, when when we were in high school and remembering who uh, some of your teachers were, I won't reveal names, but I had a, a junior high and high school teacher who who even at that time we had we had computers. He had a Mac Classic, and it was one megabyte of RAM, and I can still remember sitting behind the desk and looking over at that tiny little blue screen, and he would sit there and tap out one finger at a time all the grades, and then at the end of the semester, he'd have to transfer that to PowerSchool or whatever he used. Um, this is the kind of teacher that gave assignments monthly, but those assignments didn't have any credit. Um, unless you didn't do them, then you failed them. Whatever it may be, teachers and administrators, those of us who've been around a while, um, know those other teachers who are a little slow to get with the times. And, and we can actually even see this, I've noticed, in younger teachers uh, as they remember how they were taught and some of those, those habits and the way of doing things kind of leak into the classroom. Um, and I wanted, to, I wanted to put that out there because I think it sets the stage well. Fast forward 15 years, no, well, six years, and I'm in my first, my first institution, my first school. It's a high school, and I teach, uh, well, I jump between the high school and middle school. And I think this story links up to what we're, we're going for in a different way, and it's something I'm really passionate about, this subject. Uh, I'm also going to touch on some things that every teacher received warnings about, so this will take you back to college, maybe your practicum, uh, maybe uh, right before you went out to student teach. And that's something that's, that's sunk into a lot of us really deep. I had a rough couple of first years. Uh, halfway through the second semester of teaching, literally in the middle of a choir class, the superintendent, small district superintendent, walked in uh, to my women's choir rehearsal and asked me to step outside. And of course I did, because it was kind of odd. And she said, because of the projected numbers, um, we're going to have to reduce you next year to half time. I don't want you to think that you're doing a bad job. You're not. Um, but we're going to have to reduce you. So I was told in the middle of a choir class that I was going to be reduced to half time. I had a, a wife and a daughter that was six months old at the time. So you can imagine that I might have taken that pretty hard. Second year, uh, I, it brought with it a really tough personnel issue, which I can't really talk about, but um, the personnel issue was not with me. Uh, and then the third year, I think I had the toughest principle I will ever have, something wrong with what you're doing. This might include, at least it did for me, coming into class on a Friday afternoon at 2.58 p.m. to see if, if I was teaching bell-to-bell. -bell. I don't necessarily believe in teaching bell-to-bell -bell anymore, and I'll tell you why in a later episode, um, and that's a whole different story. But uh, most of my, we're getting to the meat now, most of the gotcha, besides those little things, was centered around 
um, relationships with students. And even saying that out loud um, makes teachers nervous. Uh, very healthy relationships, I might add, but they were about relationships. Those students, after the first, second, third year, trusted me. They came to me with problems. They came to me with confessions. They came to me with issues that they would never in a million years tell their parents. You know this happens at least occasionally, no matter what you teach, once you earn a student's trust. But it was happening to me regularly. And, and the, reason it is, the reason is they trust us and we listen. Those, those of us who have students come to us on a regular basis show empathy, compassion, Give them room to lay out their deepest fears and, and some of their greatest hopes. Moving forward, after four years, it was time to get out of that particular institution. And after two master's, almost two master's degrees, two insti the third institution, and two states later, I'm still seeing the same results in my classroom. Um, I don't know if I have to ask this question, but I will. Do you ever feel, you, the, the person or the people listening, feel that you have a ton to say, but when it comes time to truly say it, you've lost every bit of it? That's kind of how I feel as I'm, as I'm doing this podcast for the first time, wondering how many times I'm saying, um, that's what preparing for this podcast has felt like. I've gone back and forth for months, convinced I've got something of worth to share with the world. And it wasn't until just a few weeks ago on Christmas Eve that I, that I had a breakthrough regarding that. And that breakthrough brought a flood of issues that I actually think about day in and day out, but then brush aside when it's time to release the cares of the day, or I have a fire to put out if I'm still at school, or... I'm, I'm about to miss a rehearsal because I got caught up on something else or I almost missed that IEP meeting. There are probably an unlimited amount of podcasts, podcast episodes that, that we could make about teachers and lost time. What struck me was this, this article that was published on edsurge.com and it is entitled, The Answer for Schools is Not More Technology. It's Teachers and Human Connection. That's the whole title. And it's written by Danielle Arnold Schwartz. Now, this isn't a podcast about educational technology, but this is the article that, that, that shocked me into remembering that I have all of these, or feeling like I do, yes, have all of these things to say. Boom, there it was. Uh, thousands of teachers have been yelling this subject off the rooftop, rooftops. It's teachers and human connection. While I certainly agree that the with the sentiment about technology, I think the second half of the title is more important. Uh, Ms. Arnold Schwartz has spent the past decade in education technology and is a teacher of elementary gifted and talented students, and she has a background in teaching grades K through 9. And I'm just going to jump right into this article because Danielle hits on some great points and doesn't take long to get there. She writes, quote, education technology is in, it, in, is in its infancy, and the appeal to entrepreneurs seems understandably insatiable. The disconnect between business and education is that entrepreneurs focus on profits, while educators focus on children and learning. 
And that goes, end quote, and that goes right to the, the heart of the matter right away. Educators focus on children and learning. It doesn't get any more plain than that. If we as educators and administrators cannot sift through the fodder, sometimes it can be technology, we're finding out more and more every day how technology in large doses really isn't great for our kids, we kind of miss the forest for the trees and and wind up replacing human connection or opportunities for social-emotional learning with just getting through the class period in one piece. We've all done it. Um, it's okay if you don't call, email me or call me and say you've done it. We've all done it. We've all had those days where we just, we're just so behind, we throw out some busy work or, or we quickly pull up a link for Chromebooks or iPads and, and, and give it to kids for a class period just so we can keep our head above water. Our kids don't want to come back the next day when we do that. This is a parallel, I think, that can be drawn with a lot of high-stakes testing. Of course, that's one of the first things that pops into our head. Or any number of other issues that, that challenge us as educators and <clears throat> administrators, staff members, stakeholders, parents. I think we can think about this in another way. We as a society have a very particular lens that we look through when, when scrutinizing education in the classroom. Those teachers who still use Macs from 1992 aren't going to see what they believe they should want to see if you are, as they look at, you know, as they, as they take a close look at our classroom, maybe an administrator, you know, 50, 55 years old comes to our classroom and they look through that lens and they're not seeing what they think they, they should see. Um, if you're taking time in your class or school to give every student love and attention, they're not always going to see that. Again, um, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of hijacking Ms. Arnold Schwartz's article for my own ends, but I think there's something to be said for the title, and certainly the many parts of the article that, that ring true regardless of whether they apply to technology or educational psychology. Teaching, as we know, as educators, is far from, the, from an easy job. It's not easy, uh, and I, it, it, if you say it is, you're not a teacher. In fact, um, the emotional baggage alone is something that, that I think only an educator can understand. A great quote from the article, uh, quote, I don't know a single person who became a teacher because they wanted an easy job, end quote. And I couldn't, I couldn't uh, agree more. It took me a long time to find out why I really wanted to teach. For a long while, it had to be, in my mind, at least in my mind, a, a doctor of musical arts. I wanted to, to be at the college level someday, uh, only having to teach three classes a day, waving my arms and making the best-sounding choirs around. And then I discovered, though, that as I met so many hundreds and thousands of students around the country that I really wasn't necessarily in it for the music or the choir. I love music, I'm a musician, and I, I breathe it every day. But I discovered through several different institutions and spending time with a plethora of different kids that I was actually in it for those kids. And it became all that much easier to pursue a different path. 
Danielle says it well near the end of the article. It is, quote, it is human interaction that truly engages children and inspires them in the same way that we want our doctors and lawyers to take time to help us. Children need real teachers to, to connect with and trust, end quote. So we set out on this inaugural podcast episode to explore a little bit about what it looks like to teach like they don't have to come back tomorrow. And I pull that idea from, from being an electives teacher. And if you're not one, um, we always have it on our mind, even if even if it, even if in reality it may be not, it, it's not that high pressure, but we certainly feel it is as electives teachers. Uh, but you certainly know the, the pressure that that statement brings, teach like they don't have to come back tomorrow. Because for us, if it's an elective, they don't. They can drop a semester a lot of times, sometimes even quarters if, or trimesters if you're teaching middle school. So we really have to snag them and keep them engaged. And I feel like we put a lot of energy into that. You also probably know that pressure if you are an AP or an, an honors teacher. Um, sometimes those are a struggle to get into the curriculum and, and we, have to, we have to work just as hard to, to continue to push kids and, and get them in those classes. I don't mean in any way to say that core teachers are relegated to teaching in a boring or or less innovative way simply because their classes are uh, quote-unquote required. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, quite the opposite, in fact. I just encourage that mindset, and I think it's important that we put ourselves there and, and take, a, take a look at education and, and teaching kids from that point of view. We have a captive audience as teachers in many cases. Uh, once we get them into the classroom, they're there. And that can, that can lead us, just like in the early example of throwing some busy work in front of them, that can lead us to, and once you do it once, you do, you're tempted to do it again, right? When those students are with us for a quarter, maybe even a full year, if we look through that lens and ask ourselves, if they had the choice to come back tomorrow, would they? What does that look like on, on your infinite campus or your power school uh, role tomorrow when you take it? Do those kids come back? And I think that's a good question to ask ourselves as we're, as we're planning for lessons or, or planning activities. A friend and colleague of mine, Bradley Skinner, has had this quote on his website for a while, and I want to share it because, number one, it's fantastically true. And two, he is a future guest on Millennial, Myth Millennial Mythos, and it can't hurt for you to get to know him a little. He's a phenomenal educator, educator former administrator, all-around class act. You couldn't ask for a better teacher. Uh, he's won, I think he was the 20... Uh, sorry, Brad, I'll have to look it up. I should have done better the 2020 Jostens Teacher of the Year. Um, but anyway, this quote is is over on on his website. That's Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-E, -E, two E's, W Skinner, just like it sounds, dot com. And if you have time, you should check him out. But he says, quote, great schools do not happen by accident. They are the result of a consistent investment of time, thoughtfulness, forgiveness, mutual respect between teachers and administrators, and a rock-solid commitment to do what is best for kids. Uh, 
I love that. When I when I first read that, I'm like, that guy knows what he's talking about, which is why he's going to be on our podcast later. A consistent investment of time. Something teachers like us feel as though we never have enough of, quite honestly. We're more, we are more, we're more <laughs> than thoughtful. We think every evening and and every weekend. Every summer break, every every chance that we're not with our family, sometimes when they're in, we're in the middle of teaching a lesson about what we can do to, to, to better serve kids, to improve our classrooms and reach kids. After this many years in the classroom, I do know this. There's never truly enough time. That's the answer. That's it. Take that to the bank. There, there just isn't. The way our system is set up, there's not enough time to do everything that we should do and not completely either burn out or exhaust ourselves or neglect our family or miss that paperwork. There's just not enough time. Therefore, we should probably use it in the best way that supports our students. Curriculum and testing be darned. We, you, everyone listening to this who's an educator, are experts. You know and feel just from walking into a room, a classroom, your classroom, your colleague's classroom, a school you're visiting, you know you know what it feels like when your students are, are engaged and, and you can get that within five minutes of walking into a room. And, and there's no, there's no if, and, and but about that. You're a teacher and you feel it. So what I'm encouraging you to do is take that time. You know, you have a, you, it's preconceived that you don't have enough time. So take the time, you know, I was thinking about this earlier as I was preparing and uh, choir teachers especially struggle to teach music uh music students how to read music. And the reason is because they don't have anything in front of them. There's no tactile help when they're searching for notes. So it's all internal. Our, a singer's instrument is internal, and there's nothing we can do to, to reach in there and, and truly help a student. We have to give them, give them visuals of, of what we think they can imagine that will they'll work. So you can imagine sight reading music or reading music for the first time is really difficult because they can't just press buttons. They have to actually hear those notes in their head before they sing them. And as a result, a lot of, a lot of students get to high school and they want to sing in choir and they want to be in jazz and they want to dance while they sing and, and all this great stuff and make great music. But choir teachers end up pounding out notes and and music for kids to regurgitate rather than than learning it. And that that's what this reminds me a lot of um, with with taking the time. I as a choir teacher can can sit those students down every day they come into my classroom and I can just pound the notes and I can make them into a human recorders and when we get to concert time that's going to be it's going to be phenomenal. They're going to sound great but did they learn anything? They didn't. And 
I can take the time at the beginning of each quarter or concert cycle or semester, and I can teach them how to read those notes. It, they'll fight it. They hate, they hate learning something new. It's literally a second language. So they just want to get to the cool-sounding stuff. But if I take that time, it pays off at the end. And, and that's what I'm advocating here. And I know that was a roundabout story, uh, but it's true. And I can't tell you how long it took me to get there. It's embarrassing, and I wouldn't want any of my choir colleagues to know that. Um, but hopefully they listen to the podcast. So I read a great snippet recently about a teacher who, who walked, you know, this is talking about time, spending time with your kids, who walked one by one uh, and, and through his classroom in a quarter, and several times through, you know, a uh, course subject teacher, and he would step near a student every period, and he would say, I need you to, I need to see you in the hallway, which you can imagine what you think of as a, as a, as a student having a teacher use proximity and then, and then tell you they need to see you in the hallway. Probably a little nerve wracking, but after the initial shock and awe, that teacher spent the next five to 10 minutes in the hallway with that, that student exploring their life. How is everything going? What are you loving about life right now? What challenges are you facing? Are you getting what you need? How can I help? I'm here to tell you, and we know that this is true, many of our students need us much more as a lifeline and emotional bulwark than as a choir director or as an English teacher or the local math wizard. On your first day with a new group of students, you may spend a half hour telling them that your classroom is a safe space you can regale them with stories of the many alumni who love you and still come back to visit. We love to brag about that, right? But it means little if you don't have the time for them, the empathy or the, the compassion and the will to give them a part of yourself. And, and by doing that, by, by giving them that part of yourself, they can, they can, they can start to take hold of it and, and not let that elusive feeling of trust slip through their fingers because that's the last thing we want. If we were, I was thinking about this earlier too, if we were interviewing someone like Brene Brown right now, which by the way, Dr. Brown, you have an open invitation if you ever happen across this podcast. Uh, I, think, I think Dr. Brown would hone in on vulnerability and I talked about that when, at the very beginning. If you read her work, which I highly recommend if you haven't, Dare to Lead, uh, one of her more recent books, is, is just out of this world. But it connects back to that very first story I told you about fledgling me in a choir classroom in, a small, in small town Wyoming. I'm a pretty open person, and I believe that I'm genu genuinely pretty decent at being vulnerable. My, I don't know if my wife would disagree, but... I'm pretty, I'm pretty good, especially with students, at, at being vulnerable. <coughs> Excuse me. That translated well with students and still does today. It doesn't translate sometimes with his supervisors, which is also why I touched on that, that thing at the beginning about relationships. We're, we're, from the very first day of college, in teacher prep college, we're told, be careful you know, you don't want it to look like anything it's not. Um, which is why it doesn't translate sometimes to supervisors. 
which is why some of us and supervisors still have a hard time doing it. Um, that's okay. Baby steps. But we're here to figure out how to take those steps. And, and you can ask this question to yourself. I wrote this question actually down in my notes, but ask yourself this question. Have you ever apologized to a classroom of students? If you have, how did that go? Can you remember their response? I'm pretty sure it has to be uh, somewhere in a teacher's manual, one of the very first, somewhere that, that for us to maintain decorum and a sense of, of decency in education, a teacher must never apologize. And I think, and maybe that's unspoken, and we, or maybe it's just me, but I think we, we get nervous about the idea of, of admitting in front of a classroom of 30 or 15 or 60 students that we made a mistake. I think I probably apologize once a month. And I do that because I think it's important to let the, the students know that I'm a human being and I do get stuff wrong quite frequently, actually. Uh, even after years in the classroom teaching every kind of student uh, under the sun, I still get things wrong. But a sincere apology can uh, immediately and irrevocably change a classroom dynamic. And it's, that change is not for the worst. I can, I can promise you that. I could devote an entire podcast series to that subject, probably because I'm so passionate about it. But it speaks directly to the philosophy with which I teach every day. But also because there are so many unique things that make us, as, as teachers, human. And we should be exploring that, in my opinion, every day with students. It's okay to tell them that you took an extra year of college because you had some growing up to do. They will see you as fallible, which we all are. It's okay to be vulnerable and let them know why you became a teacher and not mull over your reasoning with a canned response. They will see you as honest. It's okay to let them know that you worry for them, that you, you might plan for them, consider them sometimes even to the detriment of your personal time. They will see you as loving and empathetic. It's okay to let them know that your first priority is making sure that they are beautiful people, thoughtful citizens, and empathetic neighbors. They will, they will look at you as a role model. And it's okay to let them know that you love them as unique individuals and the people that they are and only want and that you only want the best for them. They'll return that love, I promise, and, and they'll pass it on. And, and that will bring them back the next day. They'll be back again tomorrow. That's where I leave you. And I hope uh, after we've kind of chatted and, and spent some time together that that you've enjoyed our time and and have and it started the juices flowing on working through some relevant relevant issues to us as teachers. Episode two will be up next week, and will we be joined by a special guest? I'm super excited. He's a great guy and uh, an amazing teacher. I look up to him, and I look forward to spending some time with him and and hear what he has to say. And I hope that you will join us. Um, uh, I'm super. I'm again. I'm. I'm so excited that I'm shaking and nervous 
and that's me being vulnerable. So there's some role modeling for you. I have to may I may have to contact Miss Arnold Schwartz about some technology and bringing in two people on a podcast, but um, I'm looking forward to it. So this has been episode one of Millennial Mythos, teaching Generation Z. I'm Jacob Gantz. Let's talk soon.